0: The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number three hundred seventy-five for Tuesday, January seventeenth,
1: two
2: thousand twelve. Good evening, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions. You send in your tips, we provide some tips of our own, and together we all try to learn at least one new thing each episode. Here, back in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. Just one? Wow. At least, at least one. At that's least one. The, that's setting the bar very, very low. All right, so we, we're trying to learn here, 10 new
0: things. We'll do it order of magnitude. So it's not go. one, it's 10. Excellent. That's right. much better. And here, in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. Hi, John. How are you? Great. You know, I I was freaking out this morning. I thought people were were throwing things in my house. Did you have hail coming down? Uh, Sleet and various, uh, various uh, solid uh, type precipitation, which eventually melted all away. Uh,
2: That's too bad. So that means you didn't notice when me and the other listeners were out throwing rocks at your windows. Uh, (laughs) Well, now I'm tuned
0: to it. But but yeah, (laughs) it woke me up early. Well, we still had we still had people playing bumper cars. Yeah, well, you, you would think, yeah. well, due to the lack of any sort of, you know, real wintry weather, at least in my neck of the woods here, uh, you know, it's almost like people in some of the southern states, you know, when they get ice and snow, it's just a, it, it, it's a disaster. I think you saw this when you were in Texas, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You stay home when it when there's ice in Texas. <laughs> I learned that people, man, hitting their
2: brakes on bridges and stuff. It's like, dude, they just. I mean, it's, it's not it's not their fault in that they I mean, it's just they're just not used to it. All right, but this is not the driving geek, but it could be (coughs) your highway vigilante here in Durham, New Hampshire. Dave Hamilton. Uh, Anyway, uh, so it was interesting. I had I had a conversation last week with um, with well, with with Mac Geek Gab Jim. And then actually it flowed into a conversation with John Martellaro. And we'll talk about both of them. But uh, I mentioned to to MGG Jim. That uh, during the conversation, I said, "Okay, well, when we hang up, I've got to I've got to uh, I'm going to sign off Skype. I've got to restart because uh, new apps that I've been launching all day aren't showing up in my dock and nothing uh, is showing up in my task switcher switcher when I hit command tab. And Jim said, try kill all dock. And so I did. I went to the terminal and I typed kill all space dock and uh, with a capital D being the only capital character in that whole string and that kills off your dock, which then forces it to respawn. And sure enough, when the dock came back up, that uh, fixed both the dock and the task switcher. So, uh, so a handy little tip. You can you can kill it from within the activity monitor. There's many ways to kill off the dock. It will, really? it will always attempt to come back.
0: Yep. So, now, was this on a Lion machine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's very interesting because I, I got to say my experience so far with lion has been very positive positive. and that my, my major gripes with snow leopard is that when there were app updates, they would not appear in the app store icon. And for lion, I find it very consistently does it correctly. Interesting. And the other thing, which was my second gripe in the doc is that, uh, iCal. uh, not that it's the end of the world, but right. the, uh, the date would not change. And I've noticed almost uh, like as soon as the date changes, it, it will change. Um, and third-party apps
2: like BusyCal also, with Lion, have the ability to update their dock icons like that. So, yeah, the whole API changed for that stuff. But, yeah, I mean, I was launching apps and, and uh, like FileMaker. I, I, I vividly remember this day. I, I had to keep trying to relaunch FileMaker from within the Finder only to get its window to come up, uh, even though it was already launched. It would not show up in the – it was bizarre. But, and
0: you know uh, what? I just I looked this up here because, you know, I was, I was scratching my head when you said kill all Dave, because yeah. there's another terminal command called kill. And so, well, I just answered the question, but to, to share with the uh, the listeners. So we'll, uh, you know, we'll count this as, as thing number one learned today or two, <laughs> we won't keep track, but, um, whereas kill, I believe the argument for that is a PID or process ID, which sometimes is not immediately apparent, right? That it never is. Maybe if you look in activity monitor, but kill all, as far as I can tell here, so how did I find this out? Well, I went into the terminal, I said man, which brings up a manual page, space, kill all. And apparently, that will kill it by name. So there's kill and kill all. Right. The so difference, I suppose if you knew the PID of the doc process, you could say kill and then the
2: that's PID, right. but that's a pain in the neck. It's a pain in the neck. Now, the only the only downside to kill all is if you happen to have multiple instances of the same uh, binary running, if, 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 for, if somehow I had multiple instances of doc that were assigned to my user account. Now, other users', accounts, uh, other users instances of doc would not be affected by me typing simply kill all space doc. Uh, but, but that is the risk. If you've got, and I can't, maybe you're doing some encodings or something, you know, it, it, it would be a, a pretty odd situation where you'd have multiple instances of the same app in a, in a standard computer usage environment. But, uh, but that, that is the issue, uh, you know, for example, on our, on our web server, if I want to shut down Apache, the right way to do it is to send the kill signal to the parent process, uh, doing kill all, uh, Apache two or HTTPD or, you know, whatever the process is called, will just kill everything kind of in an unceremonious way, uh, which sometimes is necessary, but, uh. But anyway, I, I digress. So, so John, that conversation led into another conversation with John Martellero, who was having trouble. Let's see, let me get this right. He could not hear us on Skype when his headphones were plugged in, uh, but as soon as he unplugged his headphones and, and then, of course, reverted to his speakers, uh, it worked fine, and he could hear us. So we had our conversation. You know, we had our, our daily staff meeting. But then afterwards, he's like, gosh, you know, I wonder if my headphones are bad or this, that and the other thing. And so I said, OK, well, go ahead into system preferences and check your volume levels. And and now volumes are good and, and all of that. And uh, and I said, well, you know, maybe I know Skype has especially with version two X. Of course, he was on five point X. But I remember with version 2.x, Skype having some issues with the Uh, sample rate and so i said okay open audio midi setup which is an application inside everyone's uh, utilities folder which is inside your applications folder and i said check your your built-in output and see what the uh the format is because that's going to tell you what the sample rate is and so for internal speakers it was 44.1 kilohertz and then he plugged in his headphones and it was still 44.1 And then he unplugged them and, you know, we were back on speakers. I said, okay, now below that in audio MIDI setup, check the, uh, there, there's a, there are volume sliders for the left and right channels, channel one being left channel two being right. And then to the right of those is a little checkbox that is labeled mute. And so he looked and when his speakers were in, the volume was up and the mute was unchecked. And as soon as he plugged his headphones in, the volume was up, but mute was checked. And, uh, and it wasn't available anywhere else in the system. It wasn't apparent anywhere else. But obviously, as soon as he unchecked it there, then he was able to uh, to, you know, to 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 hear when when he plugged his headphones in. So very, very strange that this uh, that this worked out this way. He has no idea how it got that way. And, of course, my advice to him was uh, unless it happens again, don't worry about it. Forget it ever happened because you drive yourself cr- crazy trying to figure it out. But uh but yeah, interesting, huh, John? Crazy. Yeah, I know. It's uh it's crazy stuff, but that's the world we live in. All right. Uh more tips. God, we got so many good tips today. I don't, I don't know I don't know why, but they have uh they've piled up this week. So, you know, I'm a big fan of text expander, John. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about a little app that uh that uh Corey M. Dyke, I hope I'm, I know I'm pronouncing your name wrong, Corey, but, uh, and we'll, we'll hear from Corey later in the show, but he had written, uh, uh, that would either manually or automatically, um, strip the formatting out of whatever was on your clipboard. Well, uh, Gene McDonald from smile said, well, if you've got text expander, uh, you can actually make this happen from within Text Expander. And it was David Sparks from the uh, Mac Power Users podcast and MacSparky.com that, that tipped her to this. Uh, and so we'll, we'll link to his article. But essentially, all you do is you create a little snippet in Text Expander. You make the contents of it percent clipboard, which means it will fill with whatever's on your clipboard. And you set the content type to plain text. And that works too, it totally strips it out. So, yet another brilliant little tip. From uh from the community here. And we like the we love our community. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Group. Hug.
0: You know, I I've noticed this as well, Dave, in, in several apps that do text processing, they typically have buried somewhere. So for example, text edit will have something that, that's kinda similar. So you gotta paste and kind you gotta paste of, yeah. paste and match style, which assuming that the style is plain, uh and and then usually though I, I you know I still use Word. Well, I think a, a lot of people use Word, but Word has an equivalent paste special, yep. and they typically have a list of choices. One of them being unformatted text, which is equivalent. So sometimes, but you know, having having a utility that handles it for all apps is is of course preferable. Yeah, using Text Expander. Uh, otherwise, yeah, you got to learn the little little idiosyncrasies of each app. So yep. yep. Just thought I'd mention those because I've run into that before. It's it's very frustrating when you paste something and you have. Uh, Triple bold underline strike through, (laughs) slip handstand (laughs) whatever.
2: Oh, you know, while we're talking about idiosyncrasies, I know I've mentioned this before, but if you paste something into FileMaker that is formatted text, uh, Mm -hmm. you can have it unformat that text by. This is bizarre by hitting Command Z or choosing Edit Undo. Uh, If the text is plain to begin with, hitting Undo once will erase it will make it as though you didn't didn't paste it in at all but if the text is formatted when you paste it in command z once will strip its formatting and, and make it go as plain text command z again will pull it out completely so so it's uh i i don't know if that's documented anywhere so i throw it out i know we've talked about it but it's it's a good reminder for all of us that use FileMaker. all right uh dave has a tip He said recently you mentioned a terminal command for permanently presenting resume, uh, which can be done either globally on or uh, or on a per app basis from within Lion. Now, of course, for resume, what he's talking about is when you relaunch an app and uh, and it reopens all of its uh, windows the same way you had it in the past. Dave says, as I suspect you also know, you can prevent it on the next launch by holding down alt or option when you quit the app. But what I've found many people don't know is that if you hold down the shift key when launching an app from the dock, it also does not resume. I leave resume enabled, but use the alt option and or shift techniques when I want. So uh, there you go. That's uh, yet another good resume trip. Tip. Trip. Tip. Don't trip on your tip. I know. (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, we might as well just keep blazing along here. These are these are good tips. Go, brother. Okay, Uh, so uh, and I will paraphrase here. So uh, listener David wrote in and he said uh, that he was having a problem. He had called AppleCare and uh, they uh, the the AppleCare supervisor basically said, uh, so sorry, but, you know, uh, we can't help you anymore or we can't help you with this problem. Either you're just out of warranty. I forget exactly what the, the, the circumstance was, but he was either just out of warranty or it was something that was on the fence as to whether it was something Apple Care would cover or not. And uh, and the Apple Care rep said, no, so sorry. Wish I could help, but but I can't. And so he asked our advice and I said my my thought was, well, that your last ditch effort is to call not Apple Care or not customer support, but what they call the customer relations department. And you get to that at Apple by calling four oh eight nine nine six one zero one zero, which is the main switchboard number at Apple and ask for customer relations. Uh, When you're doing this, it helps if you've already got a case opened within AppleCare and if you've tried multiple times to get things solved with AppleCare Uh, and and then you call up and you give them your case number. And these are as I've as I've called them before. These are the customer service ninjas. They are there to make you happy as long as within reason. And uh, and so he did. He called them up. And uh, and he he said they they approved the repair and they're going to fix it for him. And uh, and he's good to go. So your mileage will vary. They they are not just total pushovers over there, but uh, but they are the people that have the authority and ability to kind of sit back and look at the the whole picture. And even if it's not something that's officially covered, they're the ones that can make a, a an exception happen. And oftentimes they do if it's the kind of thing that, you know, I think they kind of apply what I would call the reasonable man's case. They sort of take a step back, look at the whole thing and say, yeah, you're right. Go ahead and and let's do this. Or no, nah, you know what? We've done everything that that we can. And, and sorry, go ahead and move on. So customer relations at the main Apple switchboard is the, uh, the last ditch effort, if you will. And I think John, you and I have both had, Excellent experience, actually, with customer relations. So that's a good thing.
0: I don't think I've ever dealt with them. Actually, I think that the last time I had a long, drawn out problem, it was the Apple Care people. It was so, so okay. I, I I should have flipped it. No, it was. I think you remember. It was. It was uh, my old. Yeah, you got uh, a machine uh, replaced. Uh, I remember. Well, I had six back and forths with um, too many. Well, the thing is, yeah, I had a problem. And every time I sent it to him and, and I got it back, the machine was losing functionality. And at one point we were at number six. And, you know, I just said to the guy, I mean, just, just you know, in a very nice, reasonable manner, I said, you know, you're losing money every second you talk to me and my machine is still not working. And I, I think that, you know, last time I talked to him, I said, you know, if, if we go through one more exchange, then... You know, you really uh, I, I almost think you're obligated to give me a new machine because you're, you keep breaking it every time I send it to you. Yeah. And the guy couldn't argue with that, though. Though, And, and you know, there should be a, a cutoff, though, because there is. It, it's, it's, it's it's actually three. So if oh, it goes back okay. and
2: forth three times. Uh, and and it, and after the third time, it's still not repaired. Uh, and this can be I someone will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it can be the same machine for three different things. Um, so if you have, if you have three problems fixed with the machine and then there's a fourth, or if you have the same problem attempted three times and then after that, it still remains. So essentially three repairs and something else wrong with it. At that point, it calling customer relations is the right move because in most cases they'll swap it out, uh, and send it okay, one this That's was, my understanding.
0: Okay. This was... Uh, in the age of a power book so this was a number of years ago yeah. so it sounds like they probably well well, just for everybody's sake the, to save time and money um, they updated the policy because yeah, no, that's, po- like,
2: that's been the policy for, oh, okay.
0: for decades but you have to call customer relations to get it i see it,
2: it, I apple care is not going to offer it up necessarily they may and, and in your case obviously they did
0: but uh, eventually yeah but, but again as i've stressed to him you know you've you've just lost money on this apple care contract mm-hmm. <laughs> and he knew that That's right. i mean just the shipping alone because they would do overnight oh, you yeah. know airborne when they existed and and doing that six times will, i'm sure cost way more than or or about as much as as the apple care contract so oh yeah all yeah, right sure. what
2: else we got all right uh Charles has an interesting thing he stumbled on. He says, hi, John and Dave, having just spent a fingernail chewing four hours on a Sunday morning thinking I had converted my MacBook Pro i7 with twin SSD and 750 gig hard drive into a very expensive paperweight, I thought I'd share this tip. I needed to do a clean install of Lion for reasons I won't go into. But let's say Windows 7 was involved. When I tried to do this from the recovery partition, it failed with the error saying there was a problem installing Mac OS X, try reinstalling. So I plugged in my external DVD drive and used my disk image, same error. Finally wrote a USB stick with the disk image and you guessed it, same error. At this point, panic was beginning to set in. I searched on Google and fortunately found the answer. Reset the PRAM, restart the install and all is okay. Just a few more gray hairs. It seems that some part of the old Lion installation is left in the P-RAM, which stops the clean install. This is not the best way to spend four hours on a Sunday. But having found the answer, I thought it might be worth sharing to avoid others having the same problem. Charles, you are a man among men. Thank you for taking the time to share this with all of us and save us the four hours on a Saturday morning A Sunday morning. Sorry. Uh, That's very interesting. I would love to know. It's, I mean, it clearly it worked for Charles and, and it seems like based on his Google searching, it worked for many other people, but, uh, I'd be curious to know what that is that's, that gets stuck in the PRAM. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating stuff though. I don't know. I don't have the magic answer, John. (sighs) What I do have is a set of a five speakers from audio engine and they are our first sponsor for this show. Uh, Audioengineusa.com. They make a lot of different speakers. Uh, they make the A5s, which I have here on my desk. These are oh, what about eight inches tall, six inches deep. There's two speakers, two enclosures, and then two speakers inside each enclosure. And, uh, and these things sound fantastic. They're it, it's sort of a, a waste that I have them up here in the studio. I mean, they sound great for especially if I'm ever mixing music or anything. Uh, And they certainly are good for that. But for the most part, I'm just uh, kind of previewing the podcast with them and, uh, and they could fill a room much, much larger than this studio with sound, but uh, but they do sound good. And I'm, I'm happy to have them here. Uh, It's interesting with these, these a fives, they've got, um, they've got a port, a power port on the back, which allows them to, uh, to power, say an airport express, Right. So you could plug in an airport express into the back of these, both for power and for uh, audio. And then you could stream your music to it. Uh, Fantastic sounding speakers. And uh, again, they're 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 good. You know, they call these uh, bookshelf speakers because they they sit, you know, they're 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 a a fairly uh, fairly large enclosure for a desktop, but certainly not too big for a desktop. Uh, And they are three ninety nine a pair at AudioEngineUSA.com. If you want something a little smaller for one ninety nine a pair, you can get the Audio Engine 2s, the A2 speakers. Similar uh, concept in that there's two enclosures, but uh, they're much smaller. And uh, there's two speakers in those, and they too can fill a room much larger than my studio with a really clear, warm sound. You can check them out at AudioEngineUSA.com. Uh, they do have a what they call a free 30-day audition, which means uh, if within the first 30 days you decide that they are not for you, you send it back and you get all your money back. And speaking of money, you can save 10% of your purchase price using the coupon code M G G T E N. That's M G G 10 for 10% off all at audioengineusa.com. I guess we're moving on to cool stuff found. Right John, we've got we've got a couple of things there you said uh you, you, what you've got some stuff and cool stuff found. Why don't you? Why don't you tell us what you found, John?
0: Well, you know, I am going to throw. I am going to throw out the ones that I was actually working on uh, over the last couple of days here. So cool. One, um, you know, I was hanging out on Twitter today, doing various things, and um, and one of my contacts says, "Hey, you know, does this Unix program uh, exist on Mac OS X?" Of course, as as most of us know. Mac OS 10 is Unix-based. I think uh, the actual roots are next step, which is based on uh, OpenBSD and freeBSD and uh, and all of that. But the cool thing is all the uh, so you get a nice graphical user interface on Mac OS 10. but underneath it all, that there is the horror of Unix. But the good thing about Unix is that there is a huge, huge collection of open source software out there. Now the the good news is that there's a lot of it and and it's free. Right? The bad news is that a lot of times you got to tweak it and tune it in every version of Unix. And you've went through this too, Dave. I mean, there's so many different versions of Unix and they all have their little idiosyncrasies as far as processor and all that and compilers. So the thing is, even though you may get a Unix package um, from SourceForge or somebody like that, you may not be able to compile it on your Mac. Now, fortunately, there are not one, not two, but I found there are three groups that will help expose you and and get you uh into the whole open source world if you want to explore a lot of the software and so uh we'll of course link to it in the lovingly handcrafted show notes uh but there are three packages so the one that i installed today is called fink uh and i'm not going to read the urls but i'm going to mention the three of them so the one here is fink and they also have a, a layer on top of it called fink commander so that's one option here, and actually I used that today, and actually the thing that I was just compiling, Dave, just for kicks, once I downloaded Fink and installed it and then used Fink Commanders, I installed the X11 version of Emacs, everybody's favorite text editor and the only real text editor for Unix people. And I know, especially, hi, Scott. <laughs> I know the VI people are going to be shaking their fi- You know, it's funny because in this package, there is no VI. There's Vim, which I guess is a updated version of VI. Yeah. Because VI definitely. is so incredibly lame. And then oh. there are two... <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, I, I don't know this guy here. That's, uh...
0: <laughs> no, I, I, no VI, I, I, I'd like VI as well. VI is great for quick and dirty work, but Emacs is is the kitchen sink of editors. And I think there is a kitchen sink. In oh, I, of work, I,
2: I, if we're going to talk about editors, I, I would say in this day and age, throw both of those out the window. And oh. use, use Nano, N-A-N-O. Really? Way, really? way less of a memory footprint and a hog than Emacs. Way easier to get around in than VI. It is my my choice of really editor okay. if I have to use one from the command line. And the benefit is it is installed on every build of macOS ten. You don't need to compile it at all. Nano. Okay. You know I think there's another one.
0: Pyco. Pyco is the old version of Nano. That's ah. Right. Okay. Because yeah. they're both uh yeah terms to describe a order of magnitude. Okay. And then the other two that I found and we'll link to them and then we'll move on here because I want to go to the second item. So or we'll go to third-party CSF, and then I'll mention the other one. But the two others are MacPorts, which are... uh, MacPorts, I've heard some people grumble about it, but that's another effort to bring open-source software tuned to the Mac. And then the third one, which actually uh, someone um, who was following me, and now I'm following them, alerted to me on, on Twitter, and I think it's probably the new kid on the block, is called Homebrew, which is yet another package manager. So... If you want to get a little geeky, uh, the, the only thing I think for all of these is the condition is that you have to download Xcode, which uh, I understand now is not free. I think you got to buy it for like five bucks from the app store, or if you're in the developer program, you do get it for free. So um, so you do need Xcode, because I think that installs GCC, which is the uh, compiler that, that I think all of these use. But uh, not one, not two, but three package managers that will let you check out all these cool free Unix programs. Cool.
2: All right, let's uh, let's let's throw it to David. We've actually got two tips from David. One that he's going to tell us about and the other that I'll read about.
1: Oh, I think he's going to tell us about it. Hey, guys, my name's David. I just wanted to share a cool extension I found for Gmail. Um, I know you guys prefer mail.app yourselves, but I'm a big fan of Gmail's web interface um, extension for Firefox or Chrome. It's called Boomerang for Gmail. It's at boomerangmail.com. Basically what this lets you do, um, I fall into the bad habit of I use my inbox as my to-do list. I've tried to do the uh, zero inbox thing before and uh, all that stuff, but my problem is I always forget to check my pending folder or action folder. So what Boomerang for Gmail lets you do is say if there's an email that you can't deal with right now or maybe you want to be reminded about it in a few days, you just uh, click a button that says "Remind me in a day, two days, whatever." you can set any number of time frames. It will archive that email for you, and then at the specified time frame it'll bring that message back to the inbox as a new message so you can remember to deal with it. Uh, another thing that lets you do is when you 're sending the message say you 're emailing a client a proposal. You can uh, do your typical email, but when you send it, you can click a box that says, bring this back to the inbox if I don't hear back from this person in two days or five days or whatever. So it's just a nice way to um, set basically reminders for yourselves to bounce emails back into your inbox. Uh, Another cool thing that it lets you do, which is actually what I was searching for, is it lets you type an email to send to somebody and then send it later. Uh, So you basically got delayed sending. So I'm in sales, something that happens commonly for me is I'm uh, doing my stuff at night and typing up a proposal for my client or something, but either I don't want it to hit their inbox late at night or perhaps uh, the other bad thing is if they get 50 emails overnight, they're not gonna see my thing. So instead of sending it immediately, you can click a button that says send later, specify a time, and then uh, Gmail will send that message at that time. So anyways, it's pretty cool. Just thought I'd share that because it's a really good utility for myself. Um, they have a free plan, but it limits you to 10 messages per month or 10 pending messages. Excuse me. Um, paid plans start at only $5 a month, which I think is really worth it. Um, that gives you unlimited access. So check it out, Um If you need to follow up with me, my email.
2: All right. And we will uh, we will leave your email out of the show. Uh, so the other thing that Dave mentioned, as he said he is in, or David mentioned, as he said he's in sales, and he says they use Salesforce, Salesforce, uh, for their uh, CRM stuff. He says one big hurdle most people run into is the bulk of correspondence they will have with clients is via email, and in order to log those emails into Salesforce, it takes several steps. There's a plugin from CirrusInsight.com. Uh, that shows you what you have going on with a contact right in your native Gmail view. They have a lot of screenshots and videos on the site. So again, it's serious insight.com. We'll put a, uh, put a link out there for that too. And, uh, and we'll take it from there. So thanks Dave, that David, that was uh that's good stuff. We love, we love things like that. That sounds like a handy little tool. Um, All right. I said we would hear from Corey. Let's hear from Corey. He's got a uh, he's got a follow up to. Oh, wait, I got one more. Oh, oh, go then. Go. Yeah. One more. absolutely.
0: So, number one, I've noticed this. Actually, I was noticing this today, Dave, and uh, maybe David mentioned this, but I was noticing in mail app that I do have on the left side of my screen, a reminders category that has things that I've flagged. I I never noticed this before. I don't know why. Because it's it's so foobard the way mail deals with that stuff that it's crap. That's why. Yeah. I just noticed it today, and I think it maybe maybe it was hidden or something like that. But the other thing I want to mention is is so this is something, that I was actually trying out last night, and I got to say, so we've discussed the whole thing about remote access, and I got to say, so oh yeah, um, so my friend Jody, um, uh, who who is a uh, one of our listeners. Hi, Jody. And we were talking last night, but she she was offering a challenge. She was like, you know what? Um, so she does a a Mac and I guess computing consulting business, and she was like, you know what? I need. Uh, because she lives out in the sticks and apparently, you know, driving is 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 not has but she'd she'd rather do remote access. Sure. But what, as she was like, I, I'm going to challenge my my community here. What is a zero configuration? Now, it's not quite zero configuration, but the thing is, I guess a lot of her customers tend to be uh, not very computer savvy. H- hence the reason that their customers. Right, Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. <laughs> so she was like, you know, I need a solution where you know, even setting up Skype or iChat is is probably too complex. Okay. I'm like, oh wow, this is a big challenge. And I and I think I found it. And actually uh uh we tested this last night. And I got to say, so people have recommended this, but I'm going to give these guys a plug because I think it's probably the best uh, the best executed remote access solution and people have mentioned team viewer, but, but I'm just going to cover very quickly what they do that I think is very cool. So not only do they have an app that you install, which a lot of these remote access solutions require you to install an app. And you know, it's kind of, you know, whether it's ARD or uh, whatever, you got to install software. Well, some people may not be even comfortable or able to install software. Right. So here's the thing we finally found. So team viewer, um, They not only have an installer and an application, but they actually have what they call, I think a a quick start version. We'll we'll link to where you can download it, but they actually have a version of their program where all you do is download it, run it. And then what it does is it offers, I think it's an ID and a password. So what's happening behind the scenes is that they're linking to their server farm and registering these uh, IDs. And then what happened is anybody else out on the internet. And and again, I verified this, this with Jody, um, She's like, okay, here's the ID and password. And I entered it running the application. And magically I just had control of her screen. Wow. I I, I just got to say these guys, I think have, have got it now for, for non-commercial use. Um, they're free, you know, of course she's a business, but, but I think also their license is, is very reasonable, I think for a, a one-time fee. Okay. So, uh. But but I, I was just shocked. Now the the funny thing was is she's because she is in the sticks. She's on a satellite connection. So the thing I noticed is that her screen was actually painting very slowly. Oh, yeah. On my screen, uh, I think I think they're getting DSL. That yes, this is America, folks. But she's getting DSL in her area. But but it, it was just uh I I just wanted to share it with people. Cool. because it, it was just the very easiest uh so far uh remote access solution that i've used especially again you type in these two values you're hooked up you can control the machine it's cool and it's cross-platform which is huge. and i also and well i also inst- and i also tested out just for yucks uh i tested out the iphone and i assume you know it would work on the ipad as well and the same thing you start up the app you enter these two uh, you know, I guess randomly generated numbers uh, after they register with their server. And I was able to connect to my Mac mini for my iPhone. Cool. <laughs> it's good stuff.
2: That's great. Yeah, that's good. Cool. All right. Uh, moving into well, this, I guess this is, this is still cool stuff found, but in relation to uh, the file sending that we've been discussing in previous shows, Corey has something to add to that.
3: Greetings, gentlemen. Corey here. I was just listening to MacGeekDab number 372, and Irv was asking for a service to replace the, the old MobileMe service which would upload larger files to a server um, when you would try to send them in an email. And I've got a replacement for it that'll do exactly what he's looking for. It's called CloudApp, and their website is gitcloudapp.com. Uh, they've got a handy little menu bar app. You can drag files up there. It'll upload them and then put a link to that file on your clipboard. so You can paste it right in. They also have what they call Droplets, uh, which is like integrations with other apps. They have one for iPhoto, one for the Finder. Um, they've got a bunch of these, and so it'll, it'll add like a Cloud App button to those apps, uh, which can be handy depending on your needs. Uh, if you want to take it even a step further, um, he can use Sparrow, which is an excellent mail client in the Mac App Store. Uh, it is for pay, but I, I think it's well worth it. I think it's better than Lion's Mail. Um, but it actually integrates with your Cloud App account. So you put in your cloud app username and password once in the preferences and then from then on out if you drag a file into the top portion like the body of a message uh, instead of attaching it to that message it will upload it to cloud app for you and uh, put a link in the in the email you know so they can download it it's all automatic and it it works just like the mobile service it's perfect um, alternatively if you if you drag a file into the bottom portion of an email message, it'll still attach it the old, the old fashioned way. So, uh, you know, if it's a small image or something, you don't really want to upload, you know, you can still use it in the normal way. Uh, anyway, I, I think that's exactly what you're looking for. It works really well and it's even free. So there you go. Uh, cheers. Thanks, Corey. Awesome.
2: That's uh it's good to have that follow up. All right. So we're going to jump to a question because it leads into a tip, uh, that, that's something I did earlier today. Um, Matthew writes, he says, I'm trying to back up some of my movie DVDs and have a problem that is driving me absolutely bonkers. I've tried several programs with the same results, but the one I'm using now is Carbon Copy Cloner. I have it set with the DVD as the source and the destination being a new disk image. Once it starts, it creates the image. But once it starts copying data, it soon fails with the error. Carbon Copy Cloner encountered some errors while accessing files on the source or updating items on the destination. Then it says the error occurred while getting information about this item. And there are 12 entries with the same problem. The console has an error message that talks about privilege violation. Uh, The part that drives me crazy is that once in a while, it makes the backup with no problem at all. I've succeeded with one disk and then tried the same disk again, and it will fail time and time again. So far, I've only succeeded with two out of five disks and many attempts. I also tried with Toast Titanium and it claims the problem is the CSS protection. I would chalk the problem to this and give up, except that I can succeed with carbon copy cloner once in a while. It doesn't bug me so much if it works or fails. It bugs me that it works some of the time and I can't figure out why. Okay, so you're right. Um, It's interesting. Commercially released DVDs are protected with with copy protection. It's called CSS and and it's built so that you you can't make a copy of course uh and i'll and i'll leave each of you to figure out whether the legalities of your own location but uh but presumably if you've got a dvd and you want to make a backup in case the thing scratches that sounds like a fairly reasonable argument to me i'm not a lawyer nor am i a judge but that sounds like a reasonable argument um so there's a couple of ways to do this uh you can use a piece of software called handbrake but what's interesting is that handbrake does not in internally have the code uh, to decrypt CSS in order to get handbrake to do that. You have to install a piece of software called VLC. Now, VLC is not a movie. Uh, it's not a it, it's not a copier, but it's a player. And therefore, it needs to have this CSS code in it. And it does. Uh what Handbrake will do once you've got VLC installed, though, this is a pretty smart thing. VLC is a player, so it's allowed to have the CSS code. Handbrake is a copier, and so it's not allowed to have the CSS code in it. But Handbrake will happily read the code from VLC if you happen to have that on your system, because presumably you know what you're doing, and then Handbrake will uh, rip these these movies. But it's important to note, uh, and 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 Matthew for Matthew's uh, issue specifically, it's important to note. Handbrake will make uh, a copy of the movie that's on the DVD, but it won't make a copy of the entire DVD, at least not very easily. You'd have to sort of do that in a manual sense. So you're not going to get all the menus and all that. You're just going to get the movie. There is another piece of software called Rip It from the Little App Factory that uh, it's for it's twenty five bucks. I think twenty four ninety five that will do many of these things. And one of them is that it will make an entire copy of the entire DVD itself complete with all the menus and all of that good stuff. If that's what you want to do. So, uh so handbrake VLC are free rip. It is, is not, but, but it will give you what you're looking to do with carbon copy cloner and cannot. So
0: there you go, and you know, Dave, a mini rant. Yeah. We haven't had a rant for, ages or a fish shake but you know sometimes i almost see that the the media industry is asking for it especially when i have several dvds that i've purchased yeah and i've seen people talk about this online i've purchased a dvd now in my mind i'm entitled to view the content that i paid for what i'm seeing more and more and i've seen it on rentals which i can kind of understand but I've seen some where now you can't even disable the previews. You can't fast forward through them. You can't skip them. Well, you can fast forward through them and, uh, but it's infuriating that you are forced to consume advertising, especially for something that you've paid for. Now, again, the rental, I mean, if you're paying a buck or a buck 50 a night, you know, for for uh, uh, Redbox or something. Uh, okay, maybe I can understand, but, yeah, but I think th- it's subsidizing. Almost,
2: it's subsidizing the cost of the purchase or the rental by forcing you sure. to watch those. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah, but it's all. But but especially when it me is. Purchased DVDs that force you to watch ads that you cannot skip. I mean, look, I just paid for this. I. I yeah, but did you pay? I but did it. you
2: pay full price, right? I mean, is it the same thing? Well, in a lot
0: of, oh no, in a lot of cases, yes. No, I've no, got, no, no. no, no that's
2: what I'm. You're not listening. Did you pay the full price, and or is the full price the the dollars that you paid plus your willingness to view the ads that they want to show you? Uh, ah, ah. Mm. So the price is not necessarily just the cash value there.
0: I see what you're saying. So, 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 oh, okay. So, so, all right.
2: Just like the price of the New York times is not mm -hmm. just the price of the paper, but it is the ads that are within it as well. It is a combined package deal.
0: Yeah. Well then they should offer. So, you know, a lot of movies, I think, you know, DVD movies are typically under $20, which I think is, you know, probably a good value. Okay. Yeah. So maybe this should create another tier Because right now I don't see this option. They should create another tier, which is the ad-free option. There you go. All right. So you pay thirty bucks ad-free, twenty bucks. Some ads you rented from Redbox and you're a cheapskate, not a cheapskate, but you're looking for value. Yeah. Then you're forced. Uh, but right now, I think the industry is is uh, the, 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 kind of lagging as far as offering options that people want. And, and that's until why you get- they catch up, that's
2: what handbrake's for. If you don't want to watch. <laughs> right. I mean, you know, seriously. Right. That You could do it that way
0: if you if you really want to do so- OK. Rant off. But. It's, it's, uh, and especially now you see the legislation coming up. I think we're going to have a blackout tomorrow uh, yeah, on a lot of sites are. here yeah. complaining about some overreaching legislation, but, uh, let, let's move on. We're not the Yeah. movie, uh, though. Maybe we should be. All right, moving on. What, what's next?
2: So, uh, we're related to this. We got an email from Darren, uh, and we talked about it last week, John, where he had uh, a problem with his. Uh, his brand new iMac was ripping DVDs with handbrake very slowly. We talked about this while I was out at, at CES, I think. Um, or maybe maybe oh. it was the week before. I, I think we before.
0: identified the problem in a sense, and that we suspected it was a problem with his Right. We told him he drive, right. We told him he had a bad
2: DVD drive because that's, and, 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 I think
0: he does. Well, <laughs> In the end
2: that may, that, that that's, that may be it, but it, but it's not, it is his DVD drive is operating exactly as it was intended from the factory. It turns out there is something on uh, that, that, that has been, um, enabled if you will, or installed or, or built in to a lot of newer DVD drives, uh, and it's a technology. I'm not going to give you the name first because the name is is a very prejudicial name. Uh, but t- it's a technology that what it does is uh, let's say your DVD drive can go uh, eight speed, right? Eight X. Uh, well, you may not need it going 8x when all you're doing is watching a movie. And in fact, when your drive's going 8x, it sounds like a jet engine is is taking off and it's very loud. And that might actually make your movie watching experience uh, less than pleasurable if you've got your computer whirring and whining. So they put this uh, th- this little piece of code in the firmware of these DVD drives that says, hey, when you're watching a movie, slow it down to the speed at which. You know, to to the slowest speed that it can go while you're still getting enough data to watch the movie. Uh, And that's, in fact, what Darren's drive is doing. And as it turns out, it's the same thing, though I have a slightly different drive from Darren. My iMac was doing the same thing. Now, the problem is that the name of this technology is called RipLock. So, well, Ooh. its intention is advertised to be this great thing for consumers. And, and I don't doubt that it's right. You know, if you had one of these had an iMac in your living room, you'd certainly want it to go slower. And maybe your MacBook Pro uh, on an airplane, if you're watching a DVD, having it go slower potentially makes the battery uh, churn less, you know, and, or, mm-hmm. you know, so so it could be helpful. But. Uh having it called Riplock kind of makes you think, well, this also uh is maybe meant to deter people from ripping movies on their IMAX. <sighs> yeah, thank good news though, John. <laughs> uh I found a way, at least on on my machine. Now now unfortunately Darren's drive, it does not seem that this is possible yet. But uh, but John, you found a site called uh, I can't think I can't remember the name of it. I gotta I'll
0: pull so it. So we we steered him in the right direction. Now now he he had found so so I think he he came across this technology. So one thing that I'm going to wonder is that we we found uh, the, so there is an article that talks about this technology on Wikipedia, and it suggests one way to get around it. Though they had a question mark or a head scratcher, is to hold down the eject button for a certain amount of time, and it may disable this feature. Right. But of course, we on, don't have eject certain buttons on our DVD drives that are accessible to us. Uh, well, I'm wondering if you hit the, the, the general eject button. But yeah, that, that may not be a solution No. But um, so what's the solution then? And actually, I have two thoughts on this. So one, and then I'll let you pick it up because you actually, I think, crafted a very nice article, Dave. Or actually, you did this on your machine because your drive supports this. Yeah. But um, one way to get around this is so you have something on the DVD drive called firmware, which is kind of like software that tells the hardware how to do its thing. Now, the good news is that there are some people out there who have come up with different firmware that you can flash your drive with. Now, warning, warning, danger, danger to anybody listening. You could potentially destroy your DVD drive by trying to flash, reflash the firmware on there. That's right. So. But, so this is a risky operation of uh, I mean you could feign ignorance and say, oh, it doesn't work anymore. And yeah, maybe you get away with it depending on how honest you sound or look. But
2: <laughs> Yeah. So so I did some digging on a on a site that you found, John, called uh forum.rpc1.org. And for my DVD drive, I, I did find uh, a package of alternate firmware uh, and I and I went through, uh, I had to download a little utility. But from my command line, I was able to update the firmware on my DVD drive. And I went, I didn't quite double my ripping speed, but it's, you know, probably a good 80 percent faster. So uh, so it definitely worked now. uh What's interesting about this process is, yes, it's risky, be it I'm I'm sure I voided whatever warranty I had on the on the DVD drive there. Although, like you said, good luck figuring out that that's what I did. Um, But uh, but in the in the package, there were four different firmwares there there was the stock firmware so in case i ever wanted to go back although and 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 john you're right we did uh, jim and i crafted an article and it is already up on on uh, mac observer so we'll we'll link to that of course in the show notes but uh but the first thing you would, i would recommend doing in this process is making a copy of the firmware that's on your drive and you can do that with this little command line utility And then you upload one of these four or one of these three other firmwares that came on the uh, thing. And one of and all of them will remove this this uh, this uh, um, uh, what's it called? Rip lock uh, limitation. But there are there are other things that they will do, too, including uh, removing any uh, region encoding changes and anything like that. Uh. So, yeah. So if you if you have reason to 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 change regions all the time. You can also put a firmware on that won't have the the drive won't remember that it has changed regions, and so uh you can do it as many times as you want presumably but uh, but yeah, the article's up there and it and for my you know for my drive, which is an opti arc drive it seemed to work just fine so uh so your mileage will almost certainly vary uh but it, but yeah, worked
0: great so interesting so back so, to my now, earlier point i I do consider riplock a defect in the hardware. <laughs> But, OK, I see what you say. So you're seriously, to, yeah. it 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 is. I mean, uh, they're they're stating, oh, I don't want to make it, it quiet. No, they're they're limiting the performance of something where otherwise, and, you know, I would say it's it's almost false advertising. So when we looked at the specs the on this drive, though, no, as we discussed there, no, no, let me talk. OK, but I'm going to talk over you and then you talk over me. Okay, no, but yeah, go. they advertise this as an 8x DVD drive. OK, 8X to me means 8X. It doesn't mean 8X unless you're playing a movie, in which case it's 2X, which right. sounds like that's what they're doing. So that's so exactly to me. Right. I would think you almost have a case that this is false advertising on somebody's part. I'm not sure who. Yeah, well, because it's, is, it's, it's limiting or crippling the device to a lower performance standard other than the advertised maximum. And the, And to me, I just think that's wrong.
2: The thing is, for the most, unless you're ripping these things. You actually want this because I noticed this—the sound of the of things ripping or the, well, it, the drive it should spinning. Well,
0: it should be user configurable. Then it should not be burned into the firmware. Uh, you should I'll be able to with. say, yeah. "Oh, I would like." I would like the drive to run in maximum performance mode and I'll put up with the noise if it's even an issue or I would like quiet mode. Yep. But, but at this point, at least in this system configuration, it's not a user choice. So, so that's why, again, I, I kind of shake my fist. and no, I'll give you that. They're, they're, they're taking choice away from you. Absolutely. They're, they're assuming. And again, I mean, uh, obviously the name of the technology uh, kind of gives away the intent. It's to aggravate people who want to back up their DVDs.
2: Yeah, and and to be fair, I don't. Th- well, it it this is not necessarily a choice that Apple has made. It's a choice that the the uh, the disc ma- the uh, mechanism. Oh yeah, manufacturers yeah. Have Apple
0: made. has no control. <laughs> Apple buys, I think, the uh, least expensive mm-hmm. components when they can, Absolutely. and maybe they inadvertently picked one that had this technology, and uh, we're yeah. now seeing a groundswell of people that are saying, you know what, this is bogus, man. Because yeah. I use my machine for this purpose, and, it, and it's not cutting the mustard. So it's, Yeah, right. Now it's true. All right. So uh, we've talked
2: about a lot of tips. Uh, we've shared some cool stuff found. Uh, we have a couple of questions. Uh, there's a couple of things from CES that I saw that I, wanted, I want to wrap up as well. But, uh, but John, let's, let's, uh, let's tell everyone how to contact us here. So if you have a tip or a question of your own, feedback at MacGeekGab.com is the place you email.
0: It always is. It's always feedback at MacGeekGap.com, Dave. No, 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 no. sometimes it may not be, but well, I'm, I'm gonna let you tell people about a different way to reach us. That's right. So uh
2: you can you can uh call us if you like at 206-666 geek, which John is four three three five. You can Skype us to MacGeekGab Gab and If you're a premium subscriber, instead of using feedback at macgeekgab.com, you can use premium at macgeekgab.com. Dave, Dave, what is this premium thing of which you speak? It is an awesome thing. Uh, Two years ago, (laughs) I think, yeah, two years ago, we started uh, doing a couple extra episodes a month. And those are available to our premium subscribers only. You get two extra episodes a month. It is twenty five bucks for six months of this. In addition to that, you get access to all of the archives, as opposed to just uh, the previous, uh, I think, twenty five shows. And uh, you get that warm fuzzy feeling that uh, that you get when when you support John and I, and and we really do appreciate it. It's uh it's a fantastic thing. We have a lot of fun with the premium show. We're going to record one this coming Thursday, and uh and we would we would very much appreciate having you join us over there if you're not already. If you are already yep. a premium subscriber. Thank you. It's uh it's awesome. We really are and what, humbled.
0: And what you can do is um so the show notes that I always of course lovingly handcraft, you can see the show notes to get a flavor for That's right. what's happening on the premium shows. We uh, you can go to the show notes and 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 see what we've discussed on the show and you know, that'll help you uh you know, maybe help uh, help your decision about signing up for premium. There you go. What else, Dave?
2: Uh, so I said that while I was at CES, uh, there were a couple other things I wanted to talk about. Um, I talked, we talked about this company called Liquipel that's offering this nanoparticle, uh, waterproofing for your iPhone or, or other kind of handheld electronics device. There were actually four companies at CES that had this, um, uh, Liquipel obviously being one of them. Uh, HZO, who was partnered with zag on this is the, was the other one that was getting a lot of press, but there's a couple others. And, uh, and one of them has already partnered with, I believe they've partnered with Verizon to offer this as an OEM option on the droid razor. And, and it's interesting the way it works is they take the, uh, the device, they put it in a vacuum chamber, John. And then uh, when it gets to just the right uh, temperature and 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 lack of of uh, of pressure, they release these particles in and it it just instantly, you know, fills every nook and cranny. Uh, Some of the companies are actually taking the device apart so that it's getting ensuring it gets all over the circuit boards and everything. Some of them, it's it's very similar technology, but but they each have their nuances. Uh, The one from HZO that that uh, Zag has partnered with one that you might've seen on good morning America or whatever, they're using slightly thicker nanoparticles. And so they have, when they do this, they mask off the inside of the, uh, the headphone jack and also the dock connector because they say that otherwise it might interfere with, uh, with the, you know,
0: getting a signal. Well, that's my question is that you have, uh, all right. So the buttons I can understand, but the connectors, I mean, how, how are you going to guard against liquid? uh, Say you, you know, drop it in the toilet or the sink yeah. or whatever. Uh, how, how do these prevent you from damaging? Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, from what I recall, most of the latest devices have a uh, uh, water detector, at least in the, uh, I think most of them in the headphone jack. Well, the water, right the, water detector, in there.
2: the water detector is going to have this stuff all over it. And I saw a demo um, from one of the companies, oh, right, okay. where they had paper towels and one of the paper towels was coated with this stuff and the other one wasn't. And the guy put, um, droplets of of colored water down on onto the paper towels, and of course, one of them was like you know bounty; it just absorbed it entirely. The other one, it beat it up on there, and it was so water repellent that when you took your finger down and touched it to the water droplet, the water droplet actually stuck to your finger and lifted off the uh, the paper towel. It just it would not stick to the paper towel whatsoever. They call it the uh, 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 hydro. God, what do they call it? Uh, it was, like, it was like a, it's like fear of water. I can't remember what the, the the term was, but but it essentially made these things completely repellent of water, and uh, and so hydrophobic. Yeah. Hydrophobic. Thank you. That's it. Really? Course that's it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. 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 I don't know why I couldn't <laughs> think of that. Yeah, hydrophobic. Yeah. So your your little water sensor would be covered with that, and there's no once it's covered with it, there's no way that it's gonna it's gonna ever turn because it's water's never gonna touch it. But uh, but some of the other right, ones. I'm,
0: I'm I'm still scratching my head over how you could coat the connectors that require uh, or do they pass electrical current? No, so it is
2: a non-conductive uh, material once it has has been applied. But uh, for most of these, it is so thin that electric current will pass through. Oh, okay. It. Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I
0: I should probably go to MacObserver.com and read up on these. Yeah. Or or contact the vendors. Okay, No, it has me scratching my head how you could both waterproof something, but allow electrical connections to the uh, uh, yeah, the dock and the uh, of course, the uh, headphone earphone. Right. uh, uh, So they they all
2: had them. Zag had theirs. You know, they would put headphones in and have it literally playing music from underwater through their uh, through their headphones. And it worked fine. So, yeah. So it's interesting. My guess is within the next year, we're going to see this on a lot of phones, perhaps even uh, coming to some Apple phones. Uh, Okay. That would be nice. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So it's interesting. We did the show Wednesday morning and I talked about uh, those shark fin things that allowed you to take your existing earbuds and turn them into uh, custom fitted ear molds. Well, then I went and met with a company called Sonomax. S-O-N-O-M-A-X. And they have something that they're calling ears. And uh, and it's very interesting, John. What you do is, and, and this all, I, I went through this process shortly after we finished recording the last show. I, I went into a little room. I sat down. I opened up a box. Inside the box was something that looked like kind of a, a weird looking set of over the ear headphones. And they had little um, little nubs coming out where your ears were. And so the idea was you take these things, you put the little nubs in your ears and you flip a switch on either side and then you open your mouth and you stop talking for five minutes. And these little nubs are then filled with uh, silicone that grows inside your ear, conforms to your ear and then solidifies. And after five minutes is done, you remove this contraption from your head. You pop the little nubs off of this contraption and now they turn into Uh, custom fit earphones that you just made for yourself in five minutes and they sound fantastic. Now I am a big fan for listening to music. I'm a big fan of dynamic drivers, uh, which would typically be one speaker per ear, uh, as opposed to, uh, balanced armatures, which is where you get into multiple drivers per ear. On stage, using in-ear monitors, you know, in, in that sense, I like the balanced armature. I can get a different EQ pattern for it. But for listening to music, I was a kid that grew up sitting next to the stereo speaker, hearing that sound, hearing the speaker actually move. And, uh, and so I like dynamic drivers. So I actually went with their cheaper pair, uh, which I believe was uh, retails for $199. Uh, you can get a, a dual driver pair that uh, that goes for, for $299. But uh, but I really like these 199s and they fit really well. I used them on the plane. I actually I'm crazy. Uh, we all know this. But I actually keep what what's called a seal test uh, MP3 on my iPhone, John. And and really all it does is it plays a sound that's down at about 40 hertz uh, to to hear if you've got the low end right because you won't hear that low end that low if your if your seal in your ear isn't right. And then it also plays a sound up in the I don't know about 12 hertz uh, 12,000. 12 kilohertz rather uh, to hear if you've got a high end thing and it wor- worked great right out of the right out of the gate. Five minutes. So custom fit earphones in your home. No weight, Two hundred bucks. Sonomax ears. They sound fantastic. So I had to talk about those. I thought it was awesome. OK. And lastly, you heard me talk about this when we were uh, when we were doing our favorite cases just before uh, our our final show of the year there john maybe before our, our christmas time show uh i did finally get my hands on a spec mag folio for the ipad 2 and this is just like the fit folio that i used to use but now this one uh uses the magnets in the iphone uh, sorry in the ipads um in the ipad 2's case and it opens and close when you open and close it turns the thing on and off and the magnet makes it stick and it's awesome it is for me anyway absolutely the best case for an ipad in existence it's really thin doesn't add a whole lot of bulk to the thing protects it allows you to stand it up a couple of different ways and uses the magnets that are built in which makes it fun and geeky so uh, so i definitely recommend checking out the spec mag folio makes me happy uh-huh all right uh, how are we doing on time? Wow. We uh we didn't get to well we got to one question. That was good. So uh so I guess that's where we I guess that's where we go. Do you want to uh I'm trying to look at our at our question here. You know, let's um let's do we got a couple of really quick ones here. We'll we'll do Johnny and Tyler because those those go pretty quick and they are good questions. So uh mm-hmm. let's see if we can do this. Johnny writes I've got a problem with a podcast, actually, MacGeekGab220, that I can't seem to get rid of in iTunes. I have a couple of smart playlists for podcasts and MacGeekGab, and recently episode 220 started showing up in the list. It has the exclamation point next to it, and iTunes says it can't find the original file. I can't find the original file either. If I delete it from the smart playlist, it comes right back. Of course, it does not appear in the podcast section of iTunes. So I seem to be stuck in iTunes. It seems to be stuck in iTunes memory for some reason. How can I get rid of this link to a non-existent file? Okay. So my guess is that it's somewhere in iTunes. Uh, It could be instead of being in the podcast section, it could just be in the music section. So that if you want to find it, that's where I'd look for it. Uh, but the other thing is smart playlists allow you to delete things. Uh, you can, and and you got to help me with this, John here. I think it's holding down the command key when you delete from a smart playlist. Uh, and it will, uh, it will delete it entirely from your library. Is that, uh, do you remember that to be correct, John?
0: I don't Uh, use them. So I have no idea. Uh,
2: it's either command or option, but I think it's command. So I'm going to test this here.
0: Because I I don't do it all that often. Well, let's see. Google food. Deleting items from smart playlist. Uh, let's see.
2: What, what do I have that I can delete here? All right. So I have this sound. I'm gonna shift. Is I'm it gonna, shift? Yeah, it's no. one of those
0: magic keys.
2: It is. Well, I'm in a smart playlist, and maybe it is shift. John, I am at a loss. I know I've done this. I'm pretty sure it's the command key, but I don't know why. It, my iTunes on this computer is is kind of foobar because it's I use it for a very strange purpose. But um Yeah, it's not letting maybe it's maybe I gotta hold down command and option and delete. There it is. Okay, so yeah, it's yeah. option. Because yeah, command and option when you're deleting it from uh from the i from the list. And it will say, do you want to move the selected song to the trash or keep it in the media folder? And uh, you say move to trash. And there you go. So hold down the option and then hit command delete. And uh, and that will remove a track from your smart playlist. And that should do it. Makes sense. Works. Good. Yes. Hmm. Good. Whatever. (laughs) I I love how you uh, focus only on those things that impact you. As, as opposed to you know our listeners,
0: it's all it's all about focus. I yeah. well no, I'm focused on the listeners who are focused on the things I'm focused on. How about that? That's that's a good way of putting it. There you go.
2: All right, this one's a this one's a pesky thing. So so we'll go through this with Tyler. Tyler writes, uh, I'm a recent iOS convert convert and I love the iOS experience. I would never turn back to using Android ever again, but. My issue is this, because I was an Android user for almost three years, my main email application had become Gmail. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I have two other email addresses that forward to my Gmail account, and I also receive mail directly to the account as well. I have a 2010 MacBook Pro, and I have no issues using the Mail app on my Mac and having it sync with my Gmail and all my labels and archive mail. Where I'm experiencing issues is with my iPhone. Using the Mail app on the iPhone, I have Gmail set up as an exchange email account. As, success, as suggested by Google and Verizon on how to set up Gmail on an iOS device, I have my correct email address and correct username and correct password entered and the server is set as m.google.com just like it's supposed to be. The mail app will work correctly on my iPhone for a maximum of 1 day and then it will go into this cycle of telling me the exchange account password and ask me or t- telling me that the exchange account password is wrong and ask me to enter the correct password. I type in the correct password, password, yet it will still state that the password is incorrect. After about three to four attempts, it will tell me that mail has experienced an error and mail can't be received. Do I, do I have something set up incorrectly, or is there something I can do to resolve the issue? So the answer is yes, and I've seen this not only with Gmail set up as Exchange, but also with Gmail set up as IMAP or POP. What has happened is for whatever reason, Gmail on the server side has decided that you are trying to uh, log in too many times, or you've done something that makes them think that perhaps there was a attempted security breach on your account from an iOS device, and therefore they have locked out access to all iOS devices pending a uh, reset of Gmail's what uh, they security, and they do that by having you log in and and type a CAPTCHA code, right? One of those you know prove you're human kind of things. And, uh, mm. and we've got an article at, at TMO that we'll put in the show notes that explains exactly how to undo this. And you can even bookmark a link over at, uh, at Gmail and, uh, and so that you can do it right from your iPhone. I have it in my bookmarks. I don't have to do it all the time, but my guess is once Tyler goes through this once, it probably won't happen for six months or so, but someday it will happen again. And, uh, and you'll want to have that link bookmarked. And John, now that you're on Gmail with your, uh, with your iPhone, you probably want to bookmark this too. Cause eventually it happens. I think it's when your phone tries to log in and you lose connectivity cause you know, it's a phone and you know, sometimes you're, you're in, you know, weird coverage range or whatever. And if you lose connectivity kind of midway through a, a, a password negotiation, I think that's what trips this up.
0: Yeah. I, I've come across this. I think that the you thing have, that okay. I come across more often is um, a lot of times with your iOS device, you have to uh, register uh with uh, uh the 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 Google sync services that's for calendars
2: not so much for mail
0: but, Okay all right uh, yeah. all right when I did calendars yes i remember i had to go through a special silly walk to uh to get the calendars to show up on my uh my iOS device You but know that's that, another that good fine.
2: that's another good tip if you set up if you're if you're sharing calendars or using Google to sync calendars um when you configure it on your iOS device By default, you will only see your main single calendar from Google on your device. But all hope is not lost. You can get that back. But what you have to do, and you have to do this from one of your iOS devices. So if you've got an iPad, this is the time to use it because it's a much bigger screen. Uh, But go to m.google In your browser, this is in Safari. You're going to go to m.google.com slash sync, S-Y-N-C. Log into your Google account and then it'll show you your a list of your um, your devices, your iOS devices that are attached to that account and and pick one. And then you can go through and tell it which calendars should show up on that device. You have to do it for each device. And here's the great thing. There's no way to remove a device. So <laughs> I have I don't know. I've got like six what? devices. Listed really? In, yeah. Yeah. I mean, none of the other ones are attached anymore, but I can't get them out of there. So, you know, this is what, what it is, but, um, yeah. So, but yeah, you can go through, it tells you when they last synced. So you got an idea of which one, if you have multiples that you've used with it over the years, oh, okay, uh, you can figure out which
0: ones, you know, the active ones. All right. So, I'll, I'll find the help article. Cause yeah, when I first did Google calendar, I was like, wow, this is great. And then I'm like, well, why isn't it on my device?
2: Not that great. That's right.
0: And that's the answer. Yeah. That's they, right. uh, Ah, there's the band thawing out. <laughs> it's not that cold today. It's uh, it's
2: almost right. it's darn near forty today.
0: Ah, all right. Well, hopefully it's going to be warming up once we travel, Dave. Which is uh, in about a week, I, I think, a week from today. Yeah, I'm actually I will flying be on up. a
2: plane. Yeah, I'm oh. flying out a week from yesterday. That's right.
0: Oh, you're flying out, and, and I'm flying out Tuesday, and then uh, then we got this uh, Mac World vertical bar I World thing. That's right. Yeah, I'm looking
2: forward to it. We should have a good time out there. That's uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We've uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do we? Do we need to talk about where we're going to be during MacWorld iWorld Expo. I think we did that right, but we can we can talk about it again. So if you're coming out, uh, and I'm, I'm yeah. Pulling let this me get up. my calendar. All right. So Thursday morning, uh, mm-hmm. I at 11 a.m. I will be doing my backing up your Mac session as a tech talk, and that's available to anyone that has the uh, the iFan pass, which this year is cheap. It used to be like three hundred bucks to get a user conference pass. It's essentially the same thing now, and you get it for like a, less than a hundred bucks. So, so it's that's actually pretty cool. So I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so that's uh, when Thursday, Thursday at eleven, and then uh, Thursday at two o'clock. John, you and I are going to be at. The Smile Booth. And this is thought awesome. it was three. Are you sure it's two? I thought it was three. Uh, no, you're right. Uh, yes, you're right. Sorry, I have a meeting at the Smile Booth at two. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Show up at three. Thank you, John. Yep. Uh, so show up at 3 p.m. at the Smile Booth. And John and I will be there for an hour. And this is awesome. I'm so glad we're doing it. Because, you know, we do our sessions in our Mac Geek app, which we'll tell you about. But uh, but the problem is, you know, those rooms are always booked or the stages are always booked or wherever we are. And so we don't have time to, like, stand and chit-chat. Well, for an hour, we are chained to the Smile booth. And uh, and so we have nothing but time to chit-chat. And that is why we're there. So come on to the Smile booth. And but it's not
0: uh, only us, Dave. If we, if we can mention some of the... Uh you know the other people that do this podcast thing, but not only will we be there, but after us will be uh, our friend Adam from the MacCast, and then right. uh, for an hour, and then after that we will be Katie and David from Mac Power Users. So. That's right. If you want to meet the Mac podcasters, I, I would say between the three of us, that, that's really all you need to. That, that's all you need to listen to, right? That's awesome. Uh, so
2: yeah, then then at, uh, so that's three to four. Then at five o'clock, uh, there's something called MacWorld Rapid Fire, which is happening in uh, room 2006 upstairs in the West Hall. Uh, it's going to last about an hour and a half. There's I think 15 of us doing little five minute snippets uh, training. Tidbits, whatever it is, uh, and and each one of us, it's just going to be back to back, no break in between. We're just going to blaze on through, and uh, so that should be a lot of fun. That'll be kind of crazy, but uh, but that should be fun. And then on Friday, let's see, I'm going to do this slightly out of order. At 2 p.m. on Friday afternoon, Mac Geek Gab Live. My guess is that that's going to be Mac Geek Gab 377, but it might be Mac Geek Gab 378 if John and I squeeze one in once we get on the ground in uh, San
0: Francisco. We could try. Of course, yeah. before that, um Let's see, uh, ten. Uh, ten I think ten a.m. That's right. Yep. The Mac Roundtable, which is all of your favorite Mac podcasters, including Dave and I, and some of the people I mentioned, and and even more. Which uh, I'm not sure what, what the heck we're going to talk about, but um. yeah.
2: So yeah, that's right. Mac Geek Hub on the show floor will be uh, cool stuff found, of course that uh, that we found at the show, uh, and then uh, we'll also do stump the geek. So uh, bring your questions and see what you uh, see what you can do. And, and then you know that I hear there's a pretty cool party that evening, Dave. That's right, Cirque de Mac Nine is happening Friday night at eight o'clock. Can't guarantee tickets for everyone, but. If you ask, you might just get tickets. And if you come to the podcast or my talk or whatever, I will have paper tickets. John will have paper tickets in hand. Uh, so you can email us to try and get on the guest list. No promises, but we'll see what we can do. And if you come mm-hmm. and meet us and we have paper tickets in hand, uh, that's a great way to get some of them. So come and ask, a, ask, ask us a question. Anybody asking a question at uh, doing a Stump the Geek thing will we'll definitely earn a pair of tickets. I think that's uh, that's a given. So. Uh, Yeah, that's Macworld Expo. So I want to say thank you to Michael Johnston uh, of the We Have Communicators podcast. He converts this into AAC with all those chapters and pictures and all that for us and for you. CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com provides all the bandwidth for this podcast for us and for you. And the podcast marketplace includes the A2 desktop speakers and the A5 desktop speakers from Audio Engine. BB Edit from Barebone Software. Text Expander from Smile. And Gazelle, where you can get all of your, you can sell all of your extra electronics. And all of that is through Backbeat Media Podcast Network. John, that is it for this week's show number 375 we will be doing premium show 376 on thursday if you're not already a premium member come join us over there we'd love to see you until then have fun